Hey, this is Malcolm Brogdon, and this is the Sideline Guys Podcast. Hello and welcome into the Thanksgiving edition of the Sideline Guys Podcast alongside TV host and sideline reporter Jeremiah Johnson, radio host and sideline reporter Pat Boylan here. Depending on when you're listening to us, you could be listening on Thanksgiving around this holiday, and we will go into what we are thankful for specifically Um, But I am always thankful, JJ, when we get to do a podcast in which there are no losses from the previous week. And that last week was a little bit uh, empty in terms of there were four uh, days without a game, but a win versus the Magic, a win versus the Grizzlies. Of course, when we're talking to you, we hope this is still true if you're listening on a Thursday or a Friday. We're coming to you uh, here on a Wednesday morning. The Pacers will play the Jazz later on a Wednesday night. But all things considered, it's been a pretty good week. It has been a good week, and I was thinking about that last week, that we wouldn't have as much to talk about because of that four-day break and then just the Saturday and Monday game. And I think at this point there's really no need to kind of look back into great detail in the Orlando game or the Memphis game. But I just think in general this team is doing a little bit of what it did last year, even though so many of the guys are different and you know injuries have played such a big part in the storyline of the start of the season. But they've been able to take care of business against the teams they are supposed to beat, maybe with the exception of – you know, that first week of the season. And that's, I think, a credit to the coaching staff because they don't allow this team to overlook anybody. And, you know, this isn't a group that is just overconfident. They understand that if they play well and if they share the basketball and if everyone is involved and and they play defense, then they can beat uh, most teams. But if they don't, they know they can lose. And so you won't have as many of these kind of glaring losses. You know, you think back to last season, that home loss to Cleveland, everyone wants to point to. But, you know, all 30 teams have those games, and the Pacers just seem to have less of those than other teams. And so the schedule's been, you know, relatively easy, as easy as it could be, I think, through 16 games. There have been some challenging, you know, situations in that weekend. Houston, Milwaukee, while shorthanded, was certainly not easy, and the schedule will get more difficult. But I think it's a credit to the coaching staff and just the preparation that. When they face a team with a below 500 record, even on the road, uh, they're in the game. And if they're facing one of those teams at home, you feel feel really good about their chances. This was a four-game homestand where the Jazz were the only team with a winning record. So it's easy to look at that and say, well, you got to win three out of four. But that doesn't really happen in the NBA. I mean, I guess this season's a little different, Pat, and I guess I want to get your thoughts on it. We're kind of seeing a separation that, you know, for many years, you know, you, you talk about parity and there were – you know, maybe 20 to 22 teams that were really good or good above average and maybe some five or six that were struggling and, and rebuilding. I think we're kind of seeing a separation between 12 and 13 and then the remaining um, 16 or 17. What are you seeing in the NBA right now? Yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate just in a, in a general landscape and picture. I think you're starting to see some divisions start to create um, in, in both conferences, the West obviously being more deep. I think in the West you've got like Portland, for example, who's 6-12. and 12. We'll see how they do. It's been a very disappointing start there. The East, I think, is really fascinating to look at because right now, one through six are separated by three and a half games. That's Milwaukee one and Pacers six. And so there is a bigger gap between the Pacers in sixth and Orlando in eighth, which is four games than Indiana in sixth and Milwaukee in first. I think it's still too early to determine in the east where that gap is coming because where does Brooklyn fit in? Which are they? Right now they're in seventh, a game and a half behind Indiana and two games um, 
ahead of Orlando. So when you look at the East, it's almost like the top six have started to check out on eight through everyone else. And Brooklyn is the one team maybe still trying to decide where they fit. And I don't necessarily even think, um, you know, that other teams couldn't make a mix in there. Chicago, maybe as they their season gets along, their young team starts to pull it together. Maybe they, you know, push Orlando. But also, like, you're looking at Orlando in the eighth spot right now, and they're 6-10. and ten. So, um, the, to me, there's a clear division after seven. There's a clear division one through six. And I think Brooklyn's the team that now has won four in a row, and I think – uh, I could look at this right now. Um, they, yeah, they have not lost since the Pacers beat them. So they've won four straight, and they're the one team maybe kind of determining whether they're going to be, to me, in the t- in the upper half or the bottom half, at least as you just look at the East. And I, I even think as I look at the standings, and maybe it's a top four or five and then the next seven, because I do think that the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Clippers, and, and I'll even throw the Rockets in there right now, along with Milwaukee, those five teams, you know, at this point, they might be the best five, and then the next five or six or seven, and I include the Pacers in that category, are pretty even. I think the Eastern Conference right now, it's always one of those things with baseball, you don't want to look at the standings till the All-Star break, at least that's what some of the the diehards would say, and I, I think halfway through the season, maybe is the time we start showing standings on Fox Sports Indiana, but I think right now you're (laughs) – I mean, it's crazy to say that the top seven, and I'll include the Nets in there, I think all the top seven in the East are the ones that make the playoffs and the rest are kind of fighting for eighth. And in the Western Conference, uh, I don't know what to make of Phoenix and Minnesota, but definitely those top six teams to me are in, and I think there will be a little bit of a fight for the final two spots. But is that good? I don't know. I'd like to see – you know, 16 games into a season, more fan bases think that they have a shot to make the playoffs. However, it does give a team like the Pacers the opportunity to rack up wins, especially when they are so good at taking care of business against teams that have some weakness. I think that back to the coaching staff. If you're a team right now that's 6-10, and 6-11, you know, 5-12, and 12, there's a reason. And I think this staff does a really good job at finding those weaknesses and taking advantage of them. The one time that I think the Pacers kind of struggle or go into a game where you're not as sure about their chances, and it's been in the past, I think, because the Pacers don't have, haven't had elite offense. I think they've had elite defense. They've had average to above average offense, depending upon personnel on any particular night. So a team like Milwaukee, who plays, I think you could say, elite defense, they, they struggled. Tonight, and if you're listening to this after the fact, we won't go into great detail about this specific matchup, but Utah is a team, especially if Gobert is playing, that plays really, really good defense. Now the Pacers, they had maybe their two best wins of the season last season against Utah, so they were able to you know, show they could you know, execute offensively against them. But I'm looking forward to some of these matchups into December where teams that play really good defense, will we see how much better this Pacers team is offensively because – Back to Monday. I mean, that was about as good of offense as you could have asked for. I'm curious your thoughts, Pat. You were in the locker room. You know, we had Nate McMillan on the postgame show. We had your interviews. I talked with T.J. Warren. You talked with Malcolm Brogdon on the court. Uh, That was a team that had maybe its best offensive game of the year, and no one seemed happy about it. Yeah, that was really, uh, I don't know if I want to call it strange, but I was a little surprised because one thing that I'm able to do in these scenarios, as you know, I'm in the locker room, and so I've got an earpiece, and I can listen to the Nate um, press conference. 
And I went in there thinking, you know, you had a 29-point lead, hard to um, want much more than that. I understand that, you know, the Pacers let it dip almost into single digits, um, and that's not ideal. I I almost kind of wonder if this is Nate's way of trying to make this point early and if he's intentionally being a little bit more stern than he feels. But the other thing is we know um, if there's one thing that McMillan really doesn't like, it's if you, uh, to use his words, mess with the game. And there was a huddle as the Pacers, you know, had that lead drop from 29 to like 19 or 18 pretty quickly where he, he made that exact comment. He said, you stop playing, you started messing with the game. And that's one thing that almost de- independent of result on the floor, if he sees that, um, he, he's going to turn pretty quickly into a negative stance. So it was kind of a weird dynamic because I thought for three quarters the Pacers had played some of maybe their best three quarters in a row of the season. I know Memphis isn't great. Um, and But then things kind of took a little bit of a turn in the fourth there. But the Pacers never really, um, you know, had, to, had that lead threatened or, or never really felt like that game was in doubt. So I kind of asked this to Justin Holiday. I said, is this maybe one of those games where you, you play really well for most of it, but you also take away the fact that, you know, look, you need to close these games better. You need to play defense better. And he kind of agreed with that. I'm of the belief that it's important early in the year to find a lot of different ways to win. And what's interesting about these two Magic and Grizzlies games, and and maybe save the disappointing finish in the Grizzlies game, um, both about 10-point leads at the half. The Magic game, the third quarter, was awful. Orlando got red hot, actually uh, hit the 40-point mark in the third, took the lead going into the fourth, and we all know how that one ended. The Pacers had, you know, the holidays come up big at the very end. I think important to learn how to win that way, even if you don't love the process the whole time. The Grizzlies game, again, you lead by, I think, 11 at the half in that one, and then you balloon this thing to 29, and that was an example of, you know, taking a team seriously at the half, putting them away in the third. Um, So I I don't want to totally discredit anything McMillan's saying or that fourth quarter, but I also do want to say that I was impressed with the way the Pacers took that third quarter a lot more seriously um, because while from a coaching perspective, they're absolutely, I'm sure, um, are areas that need focus. and, And when you play a team better than Memphis and that leads maybe 20 instead of 29, then maybe an effort like that does potentially cost you a game. So I think it's important to take into consideration. But I view that as much on a, on a positive, too, that they took a 10-point halftime lead, were able to extend it, were able to essentially put it away, even if the fourth quarter wasn't perfect. And if there were some defensive weaknesses, the one thing that I didn't really see was you know selfishness. And I want to go back to something that uh, Bill Baino told me before the Memphis game, and it was – kind of a question about the starting group coming together, the same starting lineup that started opening night and then the game against Brooklyn. And both of those games, injuries were suffered, so they could not do it again the next game. But it was kind of the balance. And this is what Bano said about what is a key to success for the Pacers. We need to win the game with defense. The open man gets the ball. Doesn't matter who scores. The old saying of it's amazing what gets accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. That's the way it's going to have to be hopefully continue to be a balanced team with six or seven in double figures. There were six in double figures. I never really saw the selfishness. Sometimes, though, that can happen um, when you get a big lead. You look at the box score. All right, well, now that the game is in hand, i got to make sure I get my points. And that's one thing. 
uh, it's going to be interesting to watch moving forward if everyone is healthy. Does that ever happen? Because it is human nature. These guys have a lot of, uh, you know, personal self-confidence. You know, let's be honest. Sometimes stats affect future contracts. So that's going to be something to continue to monitor, I think, moving forward. If they continue to have this unselfishness, the everybody eats mentality, um, if they can do that, I think they're going to be okay. No, I totally agree. And I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of times this early part, part of the season is almost just affirming um, for in a lot of different ways that you're capable of doing these type of things. So when you see these scenarios come on later in the year, you say, okay, you know, we've been through this before. We've had a 29-point lead. Let's figure out how to finish this better. We've had a 10-point lead loss. Let's figure out how to come out of the locker room better. And so I think almost you're building the base of the pyramid right now. And as long as you do that well, um, and as long as you can still take wins out of this, I think there can be learning lessons out of wins too. I know sometimes people say winning can mask some of the flaws. Um, but, but, I, but I genuinely think that this locker room understood Nate's message coming off that, that Grizzlies game, and I think it'll make them better for it. Um, one thing I wanted to do is quickly take a look at the month of November, because by the next time we will record, we will already be into December, and just what the Pacers have been able to do, because it's been impressive. And look, we, we've said this almost every podcast this year, and sometimes I feel like beating a dead horse when I don't need to. We know the schedule has not been the toughest in the NBA. It was the easiest through 11. They've hit the Rockets and the Bucks in there. You know, the Jazz on Wednesday night, of course, will be challenging. The Sixers are coming up, so that'll change. Uh, but month of November rankings look like this for the Pacers. They're very good. Indiana's 13th in offense, which is, in my opinion, a really good spot to be when you haven't had so many of these key players, especially when you don't have your best offensive player, period. To be 13th is really good, especially when you are fourth, which they are in defense. Um, that net rating combines to the fifth best team in the month of November. They're rebounding really well. They're third in the NBA um, on, on the glass in the month of November. And so all of these questions that you and I had in the first couple of podcasts, the rebounding wasn't good, the defense wasn't good, the injuries were starting to pile up. I, I think we still don't know what the Pacers are. They've been so injured. The schedule's been forgiving. The Pacers still don't have Oladipo, which we've almost hit this point um, in his, you know, absence where people are forgetting about that. You know, you take Kawhi Leonard off the Clippers, LeBron James off, off the Lakers. I know Oladipo is not, you know, quite in that top-tier category, but you take any team's best player off, it's going to make a big difference. Um, but I think where they've kind of settled right now, really good spot. I think you're still learning a little bit about what this team is. Um, but to be 10-6 and six with all these injuries, as you go forward here, I think you're going to start to learn a lot more. I thought McMillan had um, a pretty interesting quote, and let me try to find it here. He basically said um, in practice, you know, that they had to tailor a lot of their playbook and change a lot of their playbook to – uh, a lot of these different guys when they were getting hurt, they had wildly different starting lineups. And so they changed a lot of the plays to try to fit those lineups. And now that they're getting everybody besides Oladipo back, and I've got a wood desk here, so I'll knock on it, uh, they're starting to reincorporate the offense that they thought they had. So it's almost like they're repivoting into some of these areas that they had in training camp. McMillan has had his work cut out for him early. I think he's done a nice job. And as this group starts to come together, it's a reminder that um, the starting unit 
is very different than the starting lineups we've seen a lot of the year. And so that takes another big adjustment, the coaching staff, the playbook, the guys trying to gel together. And one thing that I'll, uh, I guess we've spent a little more time looking back than maybe I originally thought, but there were some things as you're talking that I wanted to bring back up. And the one thing that uh, stood out to me from the Memphis game, I think it's the highlight that will maybe still be played in March and in April is the TJ McConnell basket at the end of the third quarter, not just for what it, what happened on the court, but what happened afterwards. And I think is a perfect example of how this team is kind of coming together. And maybe the best way I could describe this is playing like a Pacer team and acting like an Indiana Pacer. And that's, you know, TJ McConnell executing and making something happen at the end of the quarter. And then that celebration afterwards. And I said it on the postgame show and, and I heard Mark Monteith mention it with Eddie White on the radio postgame show. So it wasn't an original thought. I think it was the obvious reaction in comparison to the Corey Joseph play from a couple of years ago that they made a poster out of. And TJ McConnell goes in, he beats the buzzer. It's the end of the quarter, so the bench is allowed to come onto the court. And everyone goes and lifts TJ McConnell up. And it's the exact same kind of play, except many of the faces are different. I mean, Lance Stevenson was in the middle of that. That's how long ago that was. And so much has changed. And you can't just put a uniform on someone and expect everything to be the same. And I think that's what was concerning a little bit the first week or two of the season because the last two years, and maybe there were some struggles at the end of last season without Oladipo, but I think the Pacer fans really just fell in love with that group and that team and the way they played. And they were just a team to be proud of. And the first month there was a lot of looking around, or the first week of this season, guys kind of just didn't just feel like they fit, and they were trying to figure each other out and where to be on the court and, you know, what do I know about this guy? Can I trust him? It's, go, it's back to the three T's. And just something like that you can't plan on, but the reaction to it is really big to me. And I'm not saying they need to make a poster out of the T.J. McConnell play, <laughs> but I think it's good to compare the two. And, you know, I'm not going to say that they're automatically going to win 48 games and that everything is going to go as smooth as it did uh, a couple of seasons ago because, to me, that was maybe the most enjoyable season that I think I've had um, in this position, and I think fans have said that at times that was as much fun as they've had watching. So I don't know what's going to happen in the next few months, and I think they have some, you know, still some personality things that they'll have to kind of work through, and I mentioned just the, the unselfishness that needs to continue. But that play specifically I think is worth, you know, kind of reminding people of what this group has, what it's capable of in terms of just kind of that chemistry, and just that's important for a Pacer team. Absolutely agree. And I think you saw that team a couple of years ago really overachieve because of that. And so I think part of the hope here is that if you can mix some of that, to use a Grizzlies word, maybe that's why it's on the top of my head, if you can mix some of that grit and grind and chemistry with some more talent on the floor, a little more youth, I think ultimately, you know, that's what this front office is trying to achieve not lose anything on the chemistry side, which is very challenging to do um, when you're turning over a roster a bit, but improve the talent also. I think those things um, are, are, are so important, and I think so far you're seeing positive signs. 16 games in, you still don't totally know what you have, especially when you've been this injured, but I think all the early indications are good. Um, like I said, when you look at the, to me, the most promising thing about this team as you kind of look forward is when you look at the big picture signs, the big picture things I've been looking for, um, you know, very important. How does Malcolm Brogdon look? What kind of player is he going to be hopefully, you know, for a decade or so with this team? 
That's a really positive initial sign. Um, you know, how's this team's chemistry? Because this group, very likely, you know, barring a trade, which of course could always happen, uh, is the, the core of it's going to be together for a good amount of time because they're all now the core on fairly long-term deals or at least multi-year contracts. The chemistry seems good. And I think, uh, you know, that's no small task, in my opinion, to happen 16 games in because this team is very, very different. You know, you look at... That team that you're talking about right there, um, you know, Darren Collison was the point guard no longer. Victor Oladipo was the shooting guard. He's still around and a big aspect of it. But at least right now, he's not that on the floor. Boyan Bogdanovich is in Indianapolis right now with a different team. Um, you know, DeMontis Sabonis was coming off the bench. Thad Young was is maybe the best glue guy in the league. The Pacers don't have that. And Miles Turner is the only returner from that starting lineup that I'm talking about. And he's playing a very different role right now uh, that he comes, you know, alongside DeMontis Sabonis. So all of that within all of that change, I think really good to see those positives are still there. Good points, Pat. Now let's move ahead to our pick three, maybe a little earlier in the show than we normally do, but it's fresh on my mind. I can't help but think about Thursday, having a day off and having some Great turkey. I already had some actually Tuesday night with my family, so looking forward to uh, you know just some family time and kind of catching our breath a little bit on Thursday. But it's a pick three. What are three things that we are thankful for from a Pacers perspective? And I will admit that Max Linewan asked me for one already for the Fox Sports Indiana broadcast, so I'm going to repeat mine, but I'm going to go to you first, and then we have a group pick three that I'm guessing that everyone is thankful for. Yeah, so I'm going to go with, and I, I guess I just made this point, so this is a nice, transi or a, a nice transition. I'm the most thankful for, or one of the things I'm the most thankful for, is Malcolm Brogdon. I think Malcolm Brogdon, in a lot of ways, holds the key to the Pacers' potential. I, I, I'm not saying he's their best player. I'm not saying he's their most important player. But I am saying that if he is an all-star caliber player, if he's the leader he appears to be, the defender he appears to be, and the potential just perfect pairing that it seems like Malcolm Brogdon will be with Victor Oladipo, I think it pushes their ceiling remarkably higher than we have seen it um, in recent years. You know, and, and this is still a big if. It's still a huge if. We haven't even seen him on the floor with Oladipo, he's dealt with some injuries, but 19 points a game, eight assists, and also the math nerd in me is bothered by this a little bit, so I just want to point it out. Um, when you play like seven minutes of a game, that still counts as the game in terms of your per game averages. Turner got hurt by that too in, in Brooklyn. So really, um, it, it, these early on, especially when they're doing these numbers, 19 and eight, that includes a game where, you know, he had, I don't know what he had in in Houston, a couple of points and a couple of assists, which really isn't fair. His, his averages when he's been playing are probably more like 20 and eight and a half, nine or so. He's been that good. I'm thankful because this was a massive decision in the offseason. You know, Kevin Pritchard, the front office, ownership it seems, um, made a huge investment in a player. And when you do that, that player has to pay off. That player has to be what you think he is. 
And all of a sudden, you know, I think the Pacers really might have something cooking here in the backcourt. And so my thankful, uh, um, the thing I'm the most thankful for, one of the most thankful for, is the fact that this big offseason acquisition in Malcolm Brogdon not only appears to be a really, really promising on-the-court uh, piece for the Pacers, uh, but somebody, too, that fits that locker room dynamic that you and I were talking about, that chemistry dynamic. To me, this has been a home run since Brogdon has been in Indianapolis. Yes, and you could say that, in a way, Malcolm Brogdon's a savvy veteran, although he's only played in the NBA for three years. But the thing that I am thankful for are savvy veterans and guys that you could call, actually, glue guys. And so I was a big fan of Thaddeus Young. Uh, I think anyone listening to this podcast is aware of that. Uh, but I was worried about who would be the glue guy, who would kind of take that role on this team. And I've kind of seen it from Justin Holiday, and Nate McMillan has been pretty outspoken in saying that Justin Holiday is the glue guy. And I really think T.J. McConnell plays a similar role, although, you know, not as versatile on the court in terms of <clears throat> playing different positions or guarding different guys that – I think Nate would sometimes reference with Thaddeus Young and being that kind of a glue guy, and that's what Justin Holiday does. But I'm thankful for those kind of players because I go back to the team, Paul George's last year here, and I've referenced this a few times, that Thaddeus Young was on that team, but I don't think he fully was able to be the leader that he is on with that group, and I just don't think there were enough kind of leadership kind of guys, glue guys, just – it was just missing something. And I look at this roster right now, and if you take away T.J. McConnell and you take away Justin Holiday, I do kind of worry what it would be. Like, it would be a chemistry experiment. You have to have, you know, certain um, elements and just, you know, you have to mix everything together, and it has to work. And you could have, you know, all the scoring and all the rebounding and assists, but – it could just be missing something, and it's not going to it's not going to work. And without Justin Holiday and T.J. McConnell, I do worry where this team would be. But because they have them, I have the utmost confidence that they can be something special. And it's I still think it's crazy that I think this about two guys that were basically end of free agency pickups. And I'm not even sure of the contracts. McConnell might be on a two year. Um, I, I know Justin. I think was maybe the mid level or just a one year. Um, so when you sign them, you don't think of them as that important. No one probably, you know, spends a podcast even, like, talking about the signing specifically. It's like, okay, well, they, you know, they picked up a third-point guard, T.J. McConnell, or Justin Holiday. That's cool. It's Aaron's brother. Maybe he'll help him out. I mean, they are so much more than that. And then even to go selfishly, Pat, where would we be without these two guys in terms of our interviews? Because uh, this, isn't the, <laughs> this isn't the most outspoken of teams. Um, yeah. we, took, we lost Darren Collison. We lost Thaddeus Young, two of the best go-to guys that you will have that we will probably ever be around. And, you know, early in free agency, I was kind of thinking, okay, well, I, I think some of the pickups are really nice. And I did, you know, I was really impressed by Malcolm Brogdon's introductory press conference, and I thought he could be a go-to guy. But, you know, let's be honest, without McConnell and Holiday, we don't have a lot of talkers. So <laughs> their importance on the court, their importance in just kind of personality, helping their teammates out, and then just their uh, cooperation with uh, helping make 30-minute pregame shows <laughs> fill the time. Uh, I'm thankful for those two guys. 
No, I think that's a great point um, because that actually was one of my worries going into the year, which has been alleviated a lot by that. And so I, I think if, if you look at this core going forward, uh, personally, selfishly, and with what we've seen on the floor, I hope that McConnell um, and that Justin Holiday are a part of this for the long term. But regardless, I think it, it really goes to show that if – if they aren't, or even if they are, having those type of players on this team, having having those type of personalities are vital because I think you and I would agree, and you hit on it a little bit there, that last year of Paul George, that team was very, very talented. We know that Paul really liked hyperbole, but he even made the comment that it was at the beginning of the year, before things went a little south, that it was maybe the most talented team uh, that he had played on, and he had been you know, on the doorstep of the NBA Finals for a couple of those years. It just never came together, and I think as you get further from that team, you start to realize you know, that team maybe just had too many similar guys. Now, Oladipo is going to be a big change for that, and he's just his inclusion into the lineup in itself is going to be something. Oladipo is, is very different from Paul George in that regard. But still, the starting lineup without him, you know, Brogdon, who can be a little more reserved, leads by example. Uh, Jeremy Lamb leads by example, a little more reserved. Warren is very reserved. Um, you know, Sabonis is... At least his play style is obviously very animated and, and he can be, you know, an energy guy. But at least in terms of his speaking is, is reserved. Turner, too. So I think all of those are significant things to consider when you're rounding out the roster, rounding out the rotation. I, I think the holidays and the McConnells of the world, which, by the way, just using uh, basketball reference, here's the source. It looks like that, um, you know, Holiday is on a one-year deal and that McConnell is uh, some sort of option on here. I don't want to speculate too much because we don't have the contracts in front of us, but it looks like there is some sort of option potentially for McConnell next year. But you're right. Those are, those are significant things to look at once you're looking at this team in more than a, a one-year scope. And I think our group pick is obvious and I'll knock on wood even while saying it, it's good to get this group healthy. It's good to get to start to see this starting lineup that we were so eager to see in training camp. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we were, you know, disappointed about, not thankful for the injuries at the start of the season, and now health you can be thankful for. And just having all of the roster options available, with the exception, I know, Edmund Sumner, Victor Oladipo, Jakar Sampson, I mean, those are three guys you don't want to have injured, but when you compare it to where this team has been maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, they're in a great spot health-wise. And so you just kind of knock on wood, as you mentioned earlier. I did the same with uh, Jeremy Lamb yesterday in terms of asking him a question about the prospects for this team and the overall health. And we kind of knocked on wood on the St. Vincent Center backdrop as he was doing the interview, and he did the same thing. The health of this team, it just gives you a lot of reasons for optimism and hope, and I just can't wait to see those games in December, the road trip. I mean, the Jazz game tonight with a full roster because you're kind of seeing the potential this team has. And with the injuries, I think you can actually say this, now that most of those injuries are kind of in the rearview mirror and you're getting past those, I think you can actually, Pat, be thankful that you had some of those injuries. And that's, that's blasphemous to even say, but because <laughs> of those injuries, Aaron Holiday has been given a new opportunity and a new life, and this team is going to need Aaron Holiday. He's in that rotation to stay. I mean, I, I'm not making the decisions on who plays, and 
Edmund <laughs> Sumner's return will definitely make things interesting, but I cannot imagine a scenario that Aaron Holiday is not playing. And if there had not been some key injuries, I think probably specifically to Jeremy Lamb, I don't know if Aaron Holiday gets another opportunity early in the season. He got that opportunity. There were some bumps early on, and he has taken over and thrived. And so I think you're thankful for the minor injuries, that the injuries that you saw were not season-ending, and you got guys' confidence in playing time to where now you have a deep, deep team. Absolutely, and I think you can be thankful for some of those minor injuries because they're 10 and 6. You know, if you and I were having a conversation here where they were uh, 5 and 11, you obviously would not be thankful for those injuries. But uh, it's a valid point. It's one that Nate brought up. He's basically gotten to see his whole team. Maybe a little bit more than he would have liked to early in the year, but I think there's positives to take away from that. Heck, he's even gotten to see uh, you know, some of the Fort Wayne Mad Ants team, the two-way guy, uh, Nazmi Trulong, too, which it's a positive. It's, it's a bit twofold because you go back you know, to his comments where he said before the game on Monday against Memphis, we don't really have any chemistry with our starting five. So on the other aspect, they, they have to work through that together. And if, you know, the Pacers were to drop a game here in the next few because of that, that, of course, is a negative. But I think going into this year, one of the topics in that preview show that we had, and even in the first couple of weeks, is what's the rotation going to be? Really challenging to figure that out because I think after you look at the first five, six, seven guys, not a huge gap from 8 to 15, 16. And so how do you delve that down to 9, 10, 11 guys in a rotation? Well, McMillan's gotten to see all of the evidence he could possibly ever want to see of just about all of these guys. And and so it makes him more educated in that decision. And I think when you're able to win in those scenarios, it is a positive. And so now it's can this new group come back and can you not lose any of that momentum? And And if they are able to do that, then I will say maybe you've even gained something from these injuries that you otherwise wouldn't have if the Pacers drop a couple to uh, a couple of the next handful, and, and you know this this first unit is is struggling a little bit. Then maybe that narrative changes a little bit. It's just been amazing, you know, how positive this month of November has been. The Pacers have been so solid, and and really when you look at those two losses to the Rockets and the Bucks, they were so injury depleted in those games. Hard to you know even when you look at the you know, the, the peak of where the injuries were from a negative standpoint, it was in those games. Very difficult games to win anyways with where the Pacers were in those scenarios. Almost impossible. They, they played Houston really well despite a lot of that. Been a really solid month, a really solid week. Um, you know, maybe the only negative that I can kind of think of to point to is you took a little bit of a pot shot from Bill Bano. <laughs> I did. I was going to say that I'm thankful also for the Pacers assistant coaches for being so open and honest with me. But uh, I don't know if that was honesty. I'm not sure what it was from <laughs> Bill Baino during our halftime interview uh, in the Memphis game. Uh, I'll let you listen and then I'll offer my take. One question with Bill Baino, a lot to like offensively, but I'm sure you want to see a little bit of defensive improvement. Yeah. The only thing worse than our defense is that jacket. You're worse. <laughs> oh, you searched hard for that. <laughs> So, Pat, I know you're always uh, dapperly dressed, and uh, I try to mix things up on the sidelines as well, but usually this is how the interview with Bill Baino goes, because for one, 
we call it one question with Bill Baino because he talks so long, he touches on pretty much every aspect of the game, and it doesn't even matter the way I start the question. He's pretty much, I think he's already almost rehearsed what he's going to say. But before every interview, which is every third game, he kind of comes out and usually sizes up my outfit. Now, occasionally, I'll give him props for a tie or maybe his shoes, but I've not heard anything negative in uh, two or three years of doing this with Bill Baino <laughs> about something I've worn. And it's not the first time I wore the suit that uh, – that I had on on Monday night. And so I think he's trying to, you know, maybe he's a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe he's just jealous of some of the attention that <laughs> Dan Burke gets and some of his one-liners. And so I thought maybe he's just trying to throw some back at me. But I really think this, that he wanted to talk about the defense and being bad. If the defense was good and I said, you know, how great was your defense? I think he would have said this. I think he would have said, Oh, the only thing better than than our defense was that suit you're wearing. So I, I think he was I think he was bound and determined to get a, a suit reference in that he really didn't think about uh, the meaning because that wasn't that out there of a suit. And no, like I said, he's never been negative with me. So I'm going to give him a pass, even though um, when I was with my family last night for Thanksgiving, and I even had some fans on Twitter come to my defensive. Well, you should have. Asked him about this, or you? I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to sell Bill out right now. But there were some comments about things I could have thrown back in Bill's face. So I appreciate those who did come to my defense, and and my parents were not happy about it. And I said it's okay. Bill and I are still tight. Uh, I may have something for him on Saturday in Philadelphia. Um, but uh, I, I, in general, I am very thankful for Popeye Jones, Bill Baino, Dan Burke for their availability, their personality. I think it's a good touch that we're able to add to the broadcast and even off camera sometimes and just insight that I get from those guys. So I'm going to give Bill Baino a pass, but in general, let's not be dissing the jackets, Pat. (laughs) Hey, isn't it funny how parents, like no matter how old you get, they're still going to be parents. Like they're still, you know, kind of defending you in this. Yeah, they were serious. They're like, yeah, I didn't really like that comment from Bill Baino. It's like, like mom, dad, I got this. Uh, Yeah. You were unfortunately, yeah, you were just the, the, the bystander in a Bill Baino who was frustrated with their defense. You know, you, you have a great game, and maybe you get um, a nice compliment there. Although I will say, um, when you make a comment like that, if you're Bill Baino, you have to remember that people are now going to be watching how you dress, not you, Jeremiah, <laughs> how he dresses. So, like, he better be bringing it. Uh, that next TV, yeah. what, did you say Philadelphia maybe is the next time you'll have him? And he better that, be and bringing it. to that it. point, yeah, I do want, if you're listening – Um, Keep an eye on what Bill wears on the road trip because here's just a little insider secret that you can only get on a Sideline Guys podcast. Bill sometimes (laughs) wears on road trips. He doesn't want to pack a bunch of different suits. So you might see that same sport coat all five days next week. And uh, we may be able, (laughs) through the magic of television, to see uh, what Bill Baino is wearing next week. And uh, I don't think he's listening to the podcast, so this will be a surprise to him. If if he does it, maybe he'll change this season. But I've known – I've known him to kind of keep the same thing for, you know, multiple <laughs> games on a road trip. So uh, keep an eye out for that towards the end of next week if uh, if I still need some ammunition for old Billy Baino. And obviously he's the kind of guy that can take a joke. So uh, all of this comes tongue in cheek, but it would be fantastic. <laughs> you know, if you were able to come up with, with like a montage of here's Baino in the same suit jacket every single game. <laughs> I mean that might that that might at least blow up Pacers Twitter. I don't know about all of Twitter, but you might at least uh, the Reddit. Might, at least Reddit, right? 
yeah. At least our friends at Reddit would love it. Absolutely. That's yeah. uh, I don't know. That, right. Hey, but it also goes to show in in your role and in, in mine too. You always have to be light on your feet. We went back and talked about that Jeremy Lamb uh, lull comment where he didn't quite understand uh, what I was asking him, and I had to you know, define lull a little bit. He's one, too. Um, he even had – I interviewed him for the postgame show on Monday. He will throw a what do you mean at a question uh, <laughs> almost every single interview. And it's funny because I find myself now when I ask him stuff, um, I think about ways that it maybe is a little confusing – and a lot of times, you know, when a player starts an answer, I'll initially, like, in my head, all right, here's what I want to ask him next, and then I'll try to listen to the rest of his answer for context and for follow-up. Um, in, when I interview good, him... Good like, advice for anyone have, listening at home as well. You, yes. And when you're, when you're interviewing him, like, you have to be ready the second the last word comes out of your mouth <laughs> to respond. He, <laughs> he keeps you on your toes as much as any player that we've ever been around. Um, you and I were discussing this a little bit right after the game on Monday. He, he actually is a, a really good interview, um, especially when, you know, he delves into what he's thinking. I, I would say he is a better-than-average interview. But, man, you, Bill Baino, Jeremy Lamb, like, you got to be ready with that follow-up comment immediately. Yeah, I only uh, wish I could have just had a couple of uh, zingers ready for him. But, you know, in reality, we don't have the time in that interview to spend a lot of uh, time discussing wardrobe. It's usually a good way to get it started. But we, you know, we only have 45 seconds or so for that interview, the Forum Credit Union Coaches Forum. So it's a good way to get some fun, some lighthearted comments, and also some insight into what was just discussed in the locker room, and uh, I echo your sentiments on Jeremy Lamb. I think in general, I am enjoying the Jeremy Lamb experience, but it is unique, and he's a different kind of player than I think I've been around um, in yeah. my you know five or six years in the NBA. When you look here, as we close out this show, um, depending on when they listen, we try to keep this. We, by the way, for those maybe listening here for the first or second time. Sideline Guys Wednesday is like a thing. Uh, every Wednesday, yes. just about every Wednesday, we're going to have a show this year. So we want you looking forward. It's like Taco we want Tuesday. You building, yeah, we want you building anticipation for Sideline Guys Wednesday, knowing you're going to have one of these drop into your phone every Wednesday. But because of that, it can make um, it a little challenging in terms of we want to talk about the most pertinent thing, which is you know the jazz coming up tonight. But also we understand people are going to be traveling for Thanksgiving. Um, you might listen to us on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We want this show uh, to not immediately hit an expiration date by Thursday. So it is Jazz on Wednesday, which obviously will be the most challenging game, at least on paper, of this four-game homestand. Hawks on Friday, you have a real opportunity at minimum to get three out of these four, which I think is good. And then you, you hit the road, um, which starts with the 76ers. It's a five-game road trip. Those are never easy. Uh, as the trip goes, though, there are some winnable games. In fact, you could maybe, maybe not totally, but you could almost make the case that each game gets a little bit easier as you go in terms of difficulty of opponent, too. Yeah, and uh, I hate to keep bringing up the early season podcast when I reference the first 11 games saying, well, you know, it'd be great to be 7-4. and four. You have to be 6-5. and five. And what did they do despite uh, losing the first three? They went 7-4, and four. and before this homestand started, I'm going to keep with what I said. I said it would be great to be 3-1 three and three and one on this homestand and maybe go 3-2 and two the following week on the road. That would be 6 out of 9, and I, I think I'm going to stay with that. I, yeah, it would be great to win all four. You, when I brought it up to Quinn Buckner, he said, well, I want to be greedy. I think you've got to win all four. 
it doesn't happen in this league. It's just not that easy. And even if you get a win tonight against Utah, it's not a given that, you know, Atlanta comes into town and you just, oh, you pick up that victory. Just like right. you're playing the Knicks and Pistons at the end of um, the next week's road trip. You can't automatically say you're going to win those two and, and take a break at the beginning of the trip. So I'm going to still maintain if, if you lump these games together, six out of nine victories would be great because, you know, looking way ahead, the two games at home following that five-game road trip, I mean, those are juicy. Those are going to be fun. I mean, you've got the Clippers and Celtics coming to Bankers Life Fieldhouse. That will be a, a fun week at the Fieldhouse. Certainly will. We wrap this up, uh, this podcast. We want to wish you happy Thanksgiving, a happy holiday season as we get into all of this, and hopefully some happy moments for the Indiana Pacers as well as they round out what's been a really good November. This uh, franchise has been, at least recently, really strong in the month of November. It's been good to see that tradition continue. Yeah, and I think that with what you just said, we should probably offer an additional pick three. This is maybe like a pick four or pick five. It's like we're at uh, Belmont Park here, but we've got to thank the fans. I mean, I, I just uh, I've, I enjoy the interactions. Um, I really appreciate even when I'm doing the post-game show or the pre-game show, fans going down the escalator or up the escalator, I can't always acknowledge all of them because sometimes I'm talking or sometimes someone's talking in my ear. Uh, but I, I just I, I'm thankful and appreciative every single day for this opportunity, and I think the Pacers fan base is phenomenal. And um, I'm having as much fun as I think the players are, as I think the fans are. So um, just take a moment, you know, enjoy your family time on Thursday. But in general, let's just be thankful for each other. I think that's very well said. We will talk to you next Wednesday. He's Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Foylan. This is the Sideline Guys podcast.